I want to encourage you now to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to the New Testament letter written by Paul, authored by God, but sent to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, and while you're turning, I want to remind you that this past week, with a vote of 5 to 4, it seems that the Supreme Court somehow discovered a right for homosexual marriage in the Constitution. Now, as a response, the White House lit up the uh, White House in rainbow colors. People all over the internet and world were celebrating. On the other side, people were furious. Hmm. And friends, if that was you, I don't blame you. I mean, how can our, col- our, our country sponsor sin? It's just one more to add to the list, is it not? I mean, you know and I know in the New Testament, in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul wrote, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. Woe unto those who call evil good. We live in a world, and we fight a battle every day against sin, But I'm not here to talk about other people's sin today. Today we're going to talk about yours. (laughs) And no, it's not time to go yet. (laughs) Friends, you and I both know that sin brings death. Death ultimately uh, can be physical, but ultimately it is, it is uh, certainly spiritual. It is a separation in relationships. And remember, this world, this life that you live is about relationships. A relationship with God, that's the vertical. And a relationship with everyone else, that's the horizontal. And we come into this world in a broken relationship with God. That's why God sent his son to die for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to bring reconciliation. Sin, it brings death, it destroys lives, it ruins friendships and marriages, families and communities, and even nations. Sin. It's what we're talking about here today. But before we jump to the text, let's take a time to review where we've been in the book of Romans. Take a look at the board up here. In chapters 1 to 3, the key word is condemnation. Remember, Paul, like a prosecuting attorney, lays out the evidence. And we come to the conclusion that we are all sinners. We are guilty before a holy God. We stand condemned condemnation in chapters 1 to 3. Then we got to chapters 4 and 5, and the key word was justification. How can God, how can sinners become right with God? We stand guilty, condemned before Him, but how can sinners be made right with God? And in chapter 4 and 5, we, re- we remembered, we reviewed that we are saved by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. 
that only God can make a sinner right in his eyes. And remember that righteousness is declared by God. It is the only declaration that matters. Well, here we are now in the next section in the book of Romans, and that uh, section is in chapters 6 through 8. And the key word is sanctification. Yeah, another one of those theological words. And we are conformed. Sanctification is, is the process in which we are conformed to the character of Christ. And how it happens is by following the influence of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God and the circumstances of our life to conform us to the character of His Son. That is the goal, and that's what maturity looks like. And so here we are, following this logical step that Paul lays out here. He begins with, you are guilty before God. Well, what can we do? Nothing, but God has taken steps and sent His Son to die for you. And we respond in faith, and we are declared right before God. And this new section answers this question, what next? Uh, I mean, we, we tend to focus a lot on this, these uh, two sections, uh, you know, the condemnation and the justification. And we ought to. That's our condition. This is our only hope. But we forget about that next step. That, that step of, of sanctification, of being set apart. And we have been set apart by faith in Jesus Christ. We have been baptized into the church. And I'm not talking about the physical, but uh, church with a capital C, church universal, not, uh, not defined by location or time, but all those who have been, then have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The process, the next step is change. It is living out the life that God has given to us. What we are declared we ought to be in our application. Sanctification, my friends. We ought not to look like the guy that used to be over here, the lady that lived under condemnation. You know, we know all about those sins. We've got our stories from this life. And each of us ought to be able to point to a time. And maybe you don't know the date, you don't maybe even remember the year, but you remember somewhere along the line, you realized that you were condemned, that you were guilty before God, but His great love sent His Son who willingly died for you, and you put your trust in Him. The next step of that faith is where we live today. And I guess that that's probably the truth for, for most of us here. There might be still a few wrestling with this. Friends, it's the only right choice, trust in Jesus. But once you do, it's living it out. It is moving toward maturity. And that's what Paul is talking about here today. It's about that sin that brought death, moving it out of our lives and living the life that we've been called to live. And so we're going we're gonna to pray, and then we're going to jump in and learn a little bit more about how to live victoriously over sin. God, help us. Bless us now as we study your word. God, show us your favor. Spirit of God, open our eyes that we can understand and live out your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sanctification. 
conformed, being conformed to the character of Christ. Paul talks about it in that very same passage that we read previously about those who would not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to read that again, but I want to keep going a little bit here. You ready? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul says, uh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, or thieves or the greedy or drunkards or revilers, swindlers, they will, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says this, and such were some of you. Well, where's the, the, where did the saints come from? A pile of sinners, that's where they come from. All of these horrible, horrible sins are things that you and I can claim here today. Yeah, I did that before. I'm not proud of it. It was part of my lifestyle. But I'm not that man anymore. God has changed me from the inside out. It's not because I'm clever or because I work hard or anything else. It's because God is an amazing God. And the Spirit of God, if you don't stand in His way, will transition your life into newness, a new purpose, a new perspective, a new power. And it's all the work of the Spirit of God changing us from the inside out. And so Paul, listing off these sins that bring death, he says, and such were some of you. But he talks about it as in it's, it's in the past. That's not their reality anymore. They don't live to feed the flesh. They live in the power of the Spirit. So sanctification is a process of being conformed to the character of Jesus. And so the question at hand is this. The question that Paul is going to answer for us today is, is how, does, how does sanctification happen? I mean, how does this life change really take place? I mean, we do this kind of stuff all the time, and there are all kinds of disciplines in which we want to transition our thinking. You know, maybe you want to learn a new language, and you want to get to that point that maybe one of the first thoughts that comes to your mind is a word in another language that explains it well. Or maybe you want to lose some pounds, or you want to get to the gym, and, and you start laying out these rules. I'm going to go Monday and Wednesday and Friday on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm going to do these seven things. And you start laying out the lists. And then and, and you, you make for yourself a law. And I want to ask you this. How's that gone for you? Uh, Sometimes it works. <laughs> and Paul uh, begins right there. What about the law? I mean, if our life is going to change, should we find a law and, and obey that? Well, remember, it didn't work getting us from step one to step two. How are we justified before God when we are condemned sinners? Remember, Paul swatted that one away. He says the law isn't going to do it. So let's take a look here. Here we are in chapter 7, verse 1. And Paul talks about the relationship of the believer and the law. 
And the first thing I notice that he writes about in verse 1 through 3 is the authority of the law. Notice this. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You know, one of the things about the Old Testament law is the Jew had to obey that law for his whole life. It wasn't like uh, from, you know, age 5 to 18 and then move on with your life. This was lifelong. And as you and I both know, laws can be like taskmasters, always pointing at you, finding something wrong with you. And who wants to live like that? The purpose of the law was to reveal our sin. You know, and it's not till we know that there is a standard of righteousness that we know we don't come up to it. You know, you ever walk through one of those uh, convenience store doors and see the little colors and you're like, where do I measure up on that guy? <laughs> you know, when they get me on film at 11, you know, what do I? <laughs> but uh, yeah, do we measure up is the question. And with the law, it says, no, you don't measure up. And then Paul offers this illustration of the, the, the authority of the law over our lives pointing at us and accusing us and proclaiming us guilty. This illustration, he, he says, now for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. And that's maybe not the most pleasant way to look at marriage. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the one thing in common is the commitment to you know, he says the married woman is bound to law by, uh, to her husband by the law while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. He says the, the only way out is death. I mean, you don't want to be under the law. You've got to die. You don't want to be married. It's death. That's the standard. Now, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, that may have opened up a whole can of worms that we're not going to address today, but that's second hour for that, and we'll start that up in the fall. <laughs> if you've got questions, come and see me. All right, so, so, so he begins here talking about the authority of the law in someone's life. It is an accuser, it's a taskmaster, and it is never satisfied because we are imperfect. We have a sin nature that desires things not that are, are from God, but uh, that will just satisfy our flesh. And the law is always pointing it out, those thoughts, those actions. You desire to do this. I know all about it, and you're guilty. And the authority of the law is lifelong, and the only way out is death. The only way out is death. So, through Christ's death, the, the, the second aspect here is the believers have died to the law. I mean, how come we don't live according to the law? Why, when we spend our time studying in the Older Testament, do we talk about how we got to get together on a Sabbath and how we have to make sacrifices and how we, we can't eat uh, crawfish and all, <laughs> all these other things, you know? How come we don't talk about that? What are we doing that for? Shellfish is a bad thing in Leviticus. 
Yeah, but the purpose of the law was to set them apart in their actions. There was a civil law, there's a moral law. It was a whole compilation of, of a completely different lifestyle of this nation that is different than all the others. So believers have died to the law. How did we die to the law? If the only way out is death, well, we're still mostly alive. <laughs> I don't feel as alive as I used to, maybe, but... Uh, but what is this death? Well, look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, Paul says, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. And so uh, in marriage, if you don't want to be married, then you've got to wait till the person's dead. But it's just the opposite when it comes to the law. We die instead, and then we're free. Now, that's, that doesn't relate well to marriage, but the principle is this. Death is what sets you free. And you and I have died to the law when we died with Christ to sin. So Paul lays it out that through Christ's death we are free. The authority of the law is lifelong, but believers have died to the law. Look at here as we continue in verse 4. We are set free for a purpose, to belong to Jesus. Look at it. He says, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, still carrying that marriage metaphor. You've died to the law that you might belong to another. And if we belong to Jesus, who has been raised from the dead. And then I notice he continues that we have not only been set free to belong to Jesus, we have been set free to bear fruit for Jesus. In order that we might bear fruit for God. And then he explains it, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. What he's talking about here is this. You have a thought, you act on it. I want to eat that. I want to take that. I want to go there. I want to experience this. These selfish impulses that feed our flesh are like planted seeds for death. It's just a matter of time. The fruit of these actions is death. It's what, again, destroys relationships with your children, with your parents, with your friends, with your spouse, within the community, within the church. And every one of us can testify to it. We've seen it. And shamefully, at times, we've been a part of it. Or we have sinned against others because of our selfishness but we have been set free to bear fruit for God. Now, what is fruit? What is he talking about here? The fruit he's referring to is character. You know, Paul would write to the church in, in Galatia about the fruit of the Spirit in our life. When the Spirit of God is at work in your life, when you are submitting yourself and following the, the leading of the Spirit of God, he produces within us Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And the list continues. And all of these things are character issues. Let's, uh, let's just kind of poke in on one of them here. That word patience. Patience. To, to, to accept the place that you are in the time that you are in. You want to get around those three cars. Don't they know you're in a hurry and you want to get around and you're honking your horn and you're staring at them and... Patience says, God has me here in this place in light of my choices. 
I wanted to watch the end of the TV show, Thus I Sit Here. And I can accept that. I made choices. This is my consequences. I want to live here. Patience says I understand what's happening. Patience says it's not about me. It's how do I live in the moment that God has given me in this place. You know, we could talk about love and, and joy. and I mean, love, remember, is a sacrificial investment in someone else's life. That is the exact opposite of selfishness. Selfishness is when you're a kid and it's your brother's birthday and you get him something that you want to play with. That's selfishness. It looks a lot like a gift, but the only reason you bought it is for you. I know somebody who did that too. <laughs> because we all come up with creative ways to be selfish. And we even try and wrap them up and look good. But it's sin, my friends. It's sin. So we have died to the law, and we are set free to belong to Jesus. And in having been set free, we are to produce fruit. Character is the issue, being conformed and living. It's not acting like Jesus. It's being conformed in such a way that we remind people of Jesus. We live, we act, our response looks a lot like Jesus. And so that first relationship is the believer in the law. We died to the law. The law has no more power over us to accuse. And No, we, the answer is the Spirit of God. We've died to that law. Well, then take a look here at the relationship between law and sin in chapter 7. I'm sorry, in uh, verse 7 of uh, chapter 7. The, the relationship of law and sin, we find that the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. I mentioned that earlier. Look at here. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? I mean, is the law bad because it points its finger at us all the time and it doesn't help us at all, just accuses us? And so Paul, as he, he tends to do through this book, he offers a question that he answers it. So what then shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. No, it's not. Yet if it, if it had not known, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin again. The, uh, the law is like a measuring tape. You may you ever go to one of those amusement parks when you're a kid? You know, and they got that clown with a finger. And you know what that finger's all about. You gotta be tall enough to that finger to get on the ride. You know, and the law is like that. It's measuring you constantly. You know, and that's good. Because how would we know that we fall short if there was not a measuring tool for it? And that's what the law is. The law says you are, you are, you are depraved. You are imperfect. That you have failed in these areas. And, and that is true for everybody. It's not a performance issue. It's how we come into this world. And the law awakens us to this. You know? Measuring us and accusing us, saying, you don't, you don't meet the standard here. You have fallen short. And so the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. Paul again says, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. I mean, how would we know? 
I mean, parents, you know, how would you know not to keep your elbows off the table? It's very comfortable, you know, if your parents didn't tell you. If your parents didn't say when someone says hi, you should look at them in the eyes and say hello. You know, these, are, these things are taught in so many ways. You know, and one of the main responsibilities of a parent is to teach their child to say no to themselves. You know, but I want it now. Well, how about we learn to wait? How about we look for others to go before us, you know? And we teach them to say no to the flesh. But saying no to the flesh is a never-ending job. And it's not very successful, as we could all attest to here this morning. We fall for it all the time. And so again, the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. But look here in verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And so the law seems to have a twofold purpose here. And one is to point out your sin, you don't measure up. And another one is to awaken your sin. And you're like, what are you talking about? All right, let's take a little trip down memory lane here. You're walking along, minding your own business, and there it is, the little sign that says wet paint. Tell me what you do. Tell me, just be honest. You touch it. It says, don't touch it, wet paint. <laughs> you, know, you could care less about that wall until that little rule popped up. I said, don't touch this, it's wet. Come on, doesn't that sound a lot like the garden? You know, think about the garden. God gave them the whole world to enjoy. I mean, you could sit back and find the best place to see the sunsets, hear the, tr- the wind whistling through the trees, the music of the trees clapping their hands. I mean, there's good stuff going on. And God says, don't eat the fruit of that tree. You can dance around it, you know, you can play games, you can try and jump over it, you want to build a clubhouse in it, go ahead, but don't eat it. And suddenly, all the focus is on the tree. And that's the impact of the law in our life. Well, why not? Why shouldn't I stick a, fo- a spoon in the uh, receptacle? What's going to happen, Ma? <laughs> And suddenly, we're looking at all the receptacles. Something dangerous about that. I don't know. We plug it in and the games work, you know? Friends, sin is awakened by the law. And so the, sin, the, 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 the law has a very, very specific purpose. It's, it's to, to show us things about ourselves that we can't follow the law, that we fall short and we, we are unable in our own self to be what we long to be. It is the frustration that every, every person that walks the planet knows. So verse 19, or verse 10, I'm sorry, Paul says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. And then Paul wraps up this relationship of the law and sin by reminding us the weakness of the law. And friends, this is really important here. 
Whatever it is you're hoping to, I want to read my Bible, I want to study these verses, I want to... And then the, the first thing, then the easiest thing to come up with is, is to start laying out some laws, some rules, we call them. And, and you know what? If you've been a pirate before, you might call them guidelines, you know? Did you guys not watch the Pirates movie? Come on. <sighs> what do you people do with your time? I'll t- <laughs> All right, but look, look at here, the weakness of the law. Verse 12, so the, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So here's that question. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Paul says, no. By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The weakness of the law is it can't fix you. It can only show you. It's like a mirror. You know, I've, I've bought a lot of different mirrors. In my, we got them in different rooms. I'm at buildings. They got a mirror. And it doesn't matter what mirror I look into. I always see me. And James talked about this. You know, when you look into the law, you see yourself. And the purpose is not to walk away unchanged. If your hair is a mess, fix it. You know, if there's a big hunk of lettuce in there, take it out. That's why we look in the mirror. Well, that's what a believer should do when they look into the law of the Lord, is to see themselves and know what needs to be changed. That's the purpose of the law. The law, just like a mirror, can't brush your hair, and it can't pull lettuce out of your teeth not like a good set of, uh, you know, the, the thread there. So, so, so it leaves us here hanging. And so the, the law, while it is certainly good, it can't fix us. Well, Paul continues on here. And now he is talking about the believer in sin. The relationship of the believer in sin. And notice here in verse 14, he talks about our condition. You want to know what's wrong with you, Paul's going to tell you. It's the same thing that's wrong with me. We come into this world under a certain condition, and that condition is depravity. Depravity says that we were born for selfishness. We come into this world fallen, and we seek out to satisfy our flesh, and our flesh is never satisfied. It's why we eat when we're no longer even hungry. But it tastes so good, and we got to have another. Amen? <laughs> Come on, we've been there. We know what that's like. You know, and our flesh says, give me more. They want power. I want recognition. I want people to say nice things about me. I want them to just do good things for me. I want everybody to be thinking about me. Welcome to high school. Get a new pair of shoes. So, how are you guys doing today? You guys doing all right? Hi, buddy. <laughs> you know, and it's me, me, me. You and me were the me monsters. And as good as your parents may have been, friends, that monster's always trying to show his big selfish head everywhere we go. That's depravity. It doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be. But what it does mean is you have nothing to offer God. 
And when the books are open and there is nothing to be hidden, I deserve hell. There is no argument about it. Remember chapters 1 to 3? And so do you. And you say, but I, my, I got good parents, and I always had clean fingernails, and I washed, and I was nice. I had my napkin in my... Friends, there's no denying the selfishness of our flesh that is never satisfied. And so we are depraved. The believer in sin, talking about our condition, moving on to our battle. And this is where we live today. In verse 16, Paul says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That's bad. I don't want to do that. Come on, everybody in this room, everyone in this planet has some things they'd really like to cut out of their life. And yet we end up back in it. It's, it's the, getting a little close to lunch here. I'm going to say it anyway, like Peter said in his letters. He says, it's the dog that goes back and eats up the vomit. Let's talk about that for a moment. <laughs> okay? Now, Paul used this very specifically. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear it, okay? But a dog has something in them that is making them sick. So they go out and eat some grass because they know if they eat the grass, they're going to throw it up. And let's be honest here. When you're sick to your stomach, doesn't that feel so much better after you've thrown up? But then the dog goes back and eats it. What's the matter with these things? It's just the pig. You know, you can clean it up and it looks good, take it to the fair, and everyone's putting ribbons on the thing. But all it wants to do is roll around in filth. Don't be that guy, that lady. Don't go back to the vomit and eat it all up again. That's really sick. We're going to have to cut that out of the sermon here. <laughs> but that's what it is when you go back to sin, the stuff that's killing you, destroying your life, ruining your relationships, keeping you from the life that God wants, stealing your joy, it's stealing your, 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 your happiness, your contentment, your purpose. And we keep going back for more. But that's the battle. If I, don't, if I do what I don't want to, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Is that just me, or is it you too? The desire to live this way. People have modeled it before you. You've seen snapshots in your life, and you said, that's what I want. And as much as you long for it, you can't quite live it. That's what Paul's talking about here, this battle. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Say that ten times fast. 
if I up here say, I want to do this, but I don't, there's got to be something that causes that. It's that sin nature that desires else that you're pulling me out of here, you know? It's me. I, you know what? There was an old comic, and I don't remember what it was, but I remember what it said. We have discovered the enemy, and the enemy is us. You can point your finger at anybody in this room or on this planet and say it's their fault. But deep down inside, if you still can't do the thing you long to do and you end up in the pile of vomit, (laughs) you can't blame anyone else. If the longing inside you continues to pull you away, friends, stop pointing your finger elsewhere. That is the battle. And we continually lose that battle Again, in and of yourself, you're going to lose. Fortunately, in verse 24, Paul reminds us of something. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I'll tell you, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to say, why can't I just sit down and read the Bible? Why can't I spend time to, why do I start And I'm immediately thinking about my laundry list. Hmm, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In verse 25, Paul gives us the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. And so the decision is this. What will you chase after into your life? It's not going to be laws. I'll do this, but then I'll do that. And I won't do this, and I won't do that. Friends, chase after Jesus. Let's sum this up. What have we talked about here today? Sermon in a sentence. Our conflict with sin will not be won by following rules, but by following Jesus. That is our only hope. Jesus is always our only hope. To get out of sin and to have victory over sin, our only hope is Jesus. So when you're tempted to sin, follow Jesus, not your flesh. Follow Jesus, not your flesh. One of the struggles I have is two. I did not grow up poor and hungry in an empty refrigerator. And yet, as I stand at a counter to order something... When all I need is one, like, I'm going to need two. Oh, I did it again. Friends, if you're tempted to sin, at least put up a fight. At least put up a fight. And fight. Don't wait for the battle. Train for it. You know, one of the things my children were good, they, they put stuff all over the walls, verses that mean something, that help them do victory, that remind them of promises. Friends, get prepped. When you walk in, if you're a two-person, get one. One. I'm a one person, and I'm a one person for Jesus. And someone might say, that's the, one of the not smartest things I've heard all day. But you've got to fight your own battle. And you know what it is already. 
I didn't plan on telling you about it. I just know it. What's yours? And what's your plan to overcome it? It can't be the rule things, friend. It's got to be, I'm here to order with Jesus what I need the nourishment for to accomplish what he's called me to do. Now, fill in the blank on what's yours, friends, but you've got to at least put up a fight. I mean, draw a line somewhere. You know, you're not going to win the whole battle tomorrow, but win some battle tomorrow. And when you've won that one, move on to the next one. But do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him decide what that battle's going to be. Something to talk about in your prayer life, friends. Hey, Jesus, you know, I've been asking you about the clean car and the good parking spots and green lights because I'm tired of stopping. And how about talk about living a holy life? God, help me to live the life you've given to me. Help me to overcome myself, to live for you. Help me to really experience, maybe even for the first time, victory over sin. You've already won it, God. Help me to live in it. And finally... And this is, don't forget this one. I know you're like, Dave, we got two, that's enough. Take the third one, because that'll make it worthwhile. Celebrate Jesus when you overcome temptation. Celebrate Jesus. Not you. If there is any victory to be won, you've got to credit Jesus. If you give him the glory, he will give you the power to do it. But if you're doing it to stand up in front of people to say, look at me, I'm very clean, I've done good things this week, friends... Why should God empower that? Celebrate Jesus. How do you do that? Tell someone. Tell him, Jesus, you gave me that victory. I want you to be glorified. When I couldn't do it, Jesus could. The Spirit of God is able, my friends. Stop sinning. You know, the saddest thing about that is is as we sit here, stand here this morning, the realization is, for the most part, we've never tried. What we've done is, is like water. We found a level. We look like everyone else. Not too bad. Maybe okay. Good enough. And we've never really tried to enter into the victory that God has given us. Hey friends, let's do that today.